Hello, and welcome to The Main Question, a podcast series from the University of Maine. I'm your host, Ron Lesnett. In this episode, we explore the unique career path of lighting designer Don Holder, UMaine class of 1981, who has worked on Broadway, in film, television, opera, and dance across the globe. His lighting designs have earned 13 Tony Award nominations and two wins, most notably for Disney's The Lion King, which garnered him his first award in 1998. That show continues to fill the seats on Broadway and around the world. In 2008, he won a second Tony for lighting the Broadway revival of South Pacific. The unique part of the story begins in the late 70s when Don Holder was, of all things, a forestry major at the University of Maine. He graduated with that degree, but he also took full advantage of a broad education in the liberal arts. He pursued his lifelong passion for the performing arts, playing in music ensembles and lighting numerous productions for Maine Mask, the theater group at UMaine. Earlier in the fall of 2019, his unique career path brought him full circle, back to where his artistic journey began, in Hauk Auditorium on the UMaine campus. He was back to speak to students and faculty about the art of lighting and the world of Broadway. An unfortunate spell of bad weather cut short some of his interactions with the UMaine theater community, but he did find time to talk to us about his work, the state of Broadway today, the role of a lighting designer, and the answer to our main question for this podcast. How do you get from the Maine woods to the great white way of Broadway? I mean, it's amazing to be here. The last time, I think, was 38 years ago. Um, it just seems, well, you know how people always say time has flown by? It seems like a long time ago, but um, the memories are quite vivid. I just remember main mask theater parties on this stage and um, all the friends I had and all the hours I spent here and all the joyous times I shared. I think the, the greatest thing that came out of my experience at Maine Mask was understanding that making theater was about being part of a community. And, and it's the community aspect of theater making that has always been what has attracted me more than anything else. And it was really here where I learned that in a profound way. And it's the only time here that I acted um, was at the University of Maine. And that was fun. So you did lighting, you did, you played music, you acted a little bit. Just talk about some of the, you remember some shows or experiences? I think the first show I worked on here uh, was um, a lighting operator for Cat on a Hot Tin Roof. Um, and it was an amazing production, at least. I, I remember it vividly. I couldn't tell you who was in the cast now. But my experience here was quite extraordinary. When I think back, it was sort of a self-designed liberal arts education. I was a forestry major, but um, it turns out that my lighting mentor, Al Cyrus, was also um, a, a forestry major at the University of West Virginia before he studied theater. So he had, um, he really was interested in mentoring me and sort of nurturing my interest in lighting, which was always a big interest of mine since I was 13. So I had huge opportunities here in the theater program, and I was equally passionate about making music. Um, I was a bass player and a tuba player, and I I played in many ensembles. I took, I studied privately. I was a soloist with the university bands and with the 20th Century Music Ensemble. So I have like an extraordinary uh, sort of training, informal training and experiences in the arts as well as the sciences. Um, I don't know if I would have gotten that anywhere else. So it was sort of a perfect place for me. You majored in forestry. How did that affect your journey? Did any of that 
uh, creep into your um, endeavors in the arts? It was interesting having a degree in forestry and uh, then pursuing a career in the arts. I mean, the, the crossover from what you learn in forestry, there's not a lot of um, direct referential material to the, the work I do now. But um, what was interesting is, especially early in my career, it was very helpful. It was very, people were intrigued by the fact that I was a forestry major and that it really separated me from the crowd, from all the other mate graduates with a BA in theater or a BFA in theater. I was sort of the one person in the pile of resumes who had a very different background. And, um, but the one time it really served me well was um, I worked for two summers with the National Park Service and I was a guide in Mammoth Cave National Park and they hired me because of my dual interest because I had had um, experience in the theater and also in the outdoors so I was a guide I, I took people on guided tours through the cave system because they figured I must be a good public speaker I knew about the theater and performing and also forestry so I guess that's a good example yeah you talked about having a fascination with light from the time you were a boy. Where did that come from? I don't know why I was fascinated with light. I just always was. I, I w was always drawn to it. Um, I remember my parents taking me to the theater. Um, uh, maybe I was five or six, and I remember, I remember the lighting from Fiddler on the Roof, which was the first show I saw. And I remember um, feeling the light change and, and how it made me feel as an audience member. That, that was sort of a palpable experience. But um, in, throughout my childhood, I seemed to be the person who was the manipulator of light. Even in Boy Scouts, I was the kid who built the, the campfires and the bonfires and lit the ceremonial trails for the Order of the Arrow ceremonies. It sort of, I just kind of fell into lighting in every sort of aspect of my life. Talk about the role you play as a lighting designer in that collaboration. What, what, how, do, how does what you do contribute to telling the story? Well, I, I think that um, if you had to define what a lighting designer does, is um, we, a lighting designer reveals the world of the play. We're responsible for what you see and how you feel about what you're seeing. Um, we, as a lighting designer, um, we sort of provide the lens through which a theatrical event is experienced by an audience. And so it's a very important um, role. Um, without proper lighting that reveals scenery, costumes, and the world of the play as intended, you can shift perception and, and shift the audience reaction in ways that aren't helpful to the work. Um, I think lighting designers not only they influence how the audience feels about an event, but they also assist. Lighting can be really, really helpful in tel helping tell the story and um, locating the piece, informing the style of production. It's a very powerful, fluid, and yet ephemeral tool that um, seems to be used more and more um, as the principal design element in a lot of work that I do these days. I heard one of your, uh, your talks you gave online and you talked about uh, uh, from your mentor that uh, she said 99% of the people don't know they're being affected by lighting, but 100% of them are. So uh, just, just talk about that and do you, do you want your work to be invisible but, but then also have the intended um, consequence that, that you're going for? 
I think, yeah, I mean, Jennifer said that 99% of the audience is unaware of the light, but 100% is affected by it, which is, which is true. It goes back to what I was saying, that um, the, above all everything else, lighting has a powerful influence on perception. I mean, we as human beings respond chemically to um, the quality of light, the intensity of light, um, the color of light. And um, a lighting designer um, needs to understand this about the medium so that, that you can manipulate it to achieve um, certain creative objectives. So I, I, in terms of your question about whether lighting should be invisible or should be more overt, I mean, it really depends on the, the play, the, the production. But I, I think that often the light should be invisible. I think in most cases, um, we work uh, sort of underneath uh, everything else. We're the kind of the glue that holds everything together, but the lighting, I think, when it's most powerful, is invisible. And uh, the audience is unaware what it's doing, but it's, it's doing things that are very powerful and potent. Can you talk about some of your, uh, you've had a lot of experiences on Broadway. Anything that stands out, certainly The Lion King has to be right up there. Uh, Spider-Man must have been an in interesting uh, experience as well. So what, what stands out to you from the many shows you've done on Broadway? I, I've been really lucky. I've done some, I think, I've been involved with some amazing productions on Broadway. There have been so many. Um, the Lion King is special in my heart because I think it, wa it was my first Broadway musical. And I, I think at that point in my life, I was starting to think I'd never get to design a musical on Broadway, which was my big dream. And it really changed my life. But Beyond that, it was just an amazing collaboration. I feel like it, it's the most unified production in terms of design that I've ever seen um, and the most satisfying experience in terms of making a piece of theater. And just the fact that it's endured for over 20 years all around the world is kind of incredible. But there have been other productions, um, such as the one that sticks out also is um, Moving Out, which was a collaboration between Twyla Tharp and Billy Joel. It was a, a piece without text about um, the ravages of the Vietnam War era, about the, how the kids going to war were, felt, came back feeling disenfranchised and the people left behind equally in pain. And it was um, performed with the music of Jewel, uh, Billy Joel. And Billy Joel was my idol as a teenager growing up. So not only did I get to work with Twyla Tharp on this amazing piece, but I got to light um, a full-length piece with the music that I love more than anything else. That was pretty amazing. You're speaking to the humane community about the state of Broadway, the students and the, and the faculty and folks here. What's your message on this topic? Uh, is Broadway at the cutting edge of theater or is it too big to fail because there's so much money involved? I, I think that um, Broadway's not too big to fail, certainly. I, I, I think that, uh, I mean, if you're, if you're thinking about individual productions, I mean, as a entity, as a, as a community in New York, um, I think it will always be there um, because people love going to the theater. And from my perspective, there's nothing more exciting about being in a place where something is unfolding right right there and you can see it and practically feel it. That's a different, very different thing than seeing a film or seeing something on a, on a screen. I, I, but I don't think the best work is necessarily done on Broadway. It could be done in a, you know, a, an old garage um, in some other city in the United States or 
uh, across the planet somewhere. Um, I've seen amazing work um, in the most unexpected places. I, I think that some work on Broadway is incredible and other work is um, not. And I, I think that's the case everywhere. I think that there's a certain energy and a certain history and a certain level of artists that is attracted to Broadway that attracts many people who want to see it. So it's an, it's an amazing place to work. There's a, there's a unique kind of energy about Broadway that I love, but it's not the only place to do great work, hardly. You talked about the experience here and being able to do so much uh, as part of the um, theater program here. Um, for kids that are interested in the technical side of theater, what, what, what do you tell them about how to pursue that? For kids who are interested in the technical side of theater, um, if they're interested in design, I would say the best preparation you can engage in early on in college and high school um, really is to become the most articulate, well-read person with the broadest exposure to the widest range of topics you possibly can. You know, study art history and study history and politics and philosophy and psychology, anything that can feed your brain and make you understand the human condition in a more profound way. Because what designers do is we essentially crystallize um, work into something very, very precise that speaks profoundly to the human condition. And in order to be an articulate designer, you have to have a, a lot to draw from. Uh, uh, you know, it, either it's life experience or it's, um, it's experience in intellectual pursuits and intellectual curiosity. Um, so that's the, the main thing I would urge. Read the newspaper, go to theater, go to see films and talk about that work with your friends. And for technicians, I feel like that preparation is good, but um, to be a lighting electrician or a, a costume maker or a technical director who creates the scenery for productions, it requires a real passion for the art and f an understanding of collaboration and how um, your role is to be an artisan but also to support the artistic process. And um, I think you have to follow the area, you have to get as expert as you can in the whatever area it is that you have great interest in. You've designed for opera and TV and, and for corporate spaces. Is the job essentially the same or are there just shades of variation to the, you know, the application that you're putting it to? I think whether you're designed for opera or any other kind of theater event, I mean live theatrical performance, the objectives are usually, usually the same. Um, the, the way you think about light is the same. The process is usually different from genre to genre. In opera, you are dealing with um, large physical productions with very little time to accomplish the work at hand. So you have to work in broad strokes, uh, large brush strokes of light as opposed to really detailed, specific little little brushstrokes. In film and television, I found that um, people who work with light do have the same objectives, but the tools are very different and the process is different. I have really enjoyed the work I've done in, in those forms, but um, it's a different experience because you're only working on a small part of the whole, whereas in the theater, you get to see the entire thing in sequence. 
What's next? What, what, and what's on your bucket list? What, what, do you, what would you love to do that you haven't had a chance to do yet? <laughs> That's a good question. My bucket list? <laughs> I, I mean, what's next is um, I'm doing a new musical based on the film, the universal film, The Tale of Despero, out in Berkeley, California. It's where I've done several musicals recently in the last few years, and it's a great place to work. And it's, um, I'm really excited about it. I'm also working on a musical Knoxville with Lynn Ahrens and Stephen Flaherty, who are probably my favorite composer lyricist team. They wrote Ragtime and A Man of No Importance and Rocky and um, Anastasia, which I just did um, in New York. Um, so I'm really excited about getting involved on the ground up with, with, with them. In terms of what I want to do, what's on my bucket list, that's a hard one. I feel like um, I've been so fortunate. I've done, I've sort of done the things that are, that I've always wanted to do, work at the Metropolitan Opera, travel the world, um, light my first Broadway musical. I feel very fortunate about that. So what I like to keep doing is wonderful collaborations, challenging work, um, things that really push me and, and sort of take me outside of my comfort zone and, and force me to make creative choices that uh, I probably wouldn't have done before. And that's what I get excited about. What's it like now to come full circle? I mean, you sort of um, cut your teeth a little bit in this space we're sitting in right here, and uh, here you are below these many years later. What's, what's that like to, to come back to where a lot of this began for you? It feels great to come back to where it began. Um, if you had asked me when I was 18 years old, um, a scared freshman um, working on Cat on a Hot Tin Roof, if I <laughs> come back here, what, 38 years later and be talking to you right now, I, there's just no way I, I could even conceive of it. Um, it's thrilling. You know, I wanted to be a lighting designer when I was 13 years old. I mean, I, I sensed that that's what I wanted to do. And um, it took a while to get there, but I feel like every day I'm living the dream. So to come back and sort of revisit where it all began for me is very special and very exciting. Well, thanks for taking the time uh, to talk to us. Thank you. Thanks for joining us. You can find this and all of our podcasts in most of the places that podcasts are available. iTunes Podcasts, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Google Play, and Spotify. We welcome your feedback on the show and on our series in general. Drop us a line at mainquestion at main.edu. This is Ron Liznet. We'll catch you next time on The Main Question.